I'm Kate Daniels. I feel it is so important to give our kids a good foundation. Give our kids the gift of health with the things that are within our control. And one of these key things is teaching them about the dangers of smoking in its various forms. Teaching them the effect not just on their lungs, which is huge, but its effect on the entire body. Smoking robs us of health and it robs our bank accounts. And in this challenging COVID time, when we know the impact of the virus on our body, it's important to do everything we can to keep our body and mind as healthy as possible. The Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids has been doing the work for 20 years, all the advocacy and support research to raise awareness with the public and work to limit the tobacco companies inserting themselves in our kids' lives. It takes work, and the latest work is research that included 30 major U.S. cities, Seattle being one of them. Lisa Henriksen, Ph.D., led the research on tobacco retailers and their proximity to schools. Lisa is here with us this morning, along with Matthew Myers, president of Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. Hi, Kate. This is Lisa Henriksen from Stanford University. Lisa, welcome. And Matt Myers with the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. And Matt, welcome as well. It's really terrific to have both of you here with us this morning. I am so appreciative of the work that you've done and to be able to share it with our listeners here in the Puget Sound area. One of the big reasons is because Seattle was part of the research area for what you've done uh, in terms of looking at tobacco, tobacco stores, eat cigarettes within uh, a city area. Can you talk to that, that, Lisa? That's right. Uh, We studied 30 major cities in the United States, including Seattle. We collected more than a million records about the location of tobacco retailers in the 30 cities. Um, And um, I think one of the most surprising findings is how near tobacco retailers are to schools. Um, In Seattle, 54% of public schools are located within 1,000 feet of at least one tobacco retailer. That's just two city blocks. And obviously, just right on the path where kids are going back and forth to and from uh, home or just going about their daily work, right? That's right. Um, You should also know that tobacco retailers are ubiquitous. Um, So in Seattle, there are 43 times more tobacco retailers than there are McDonald's restaurants. Which in itself is huge. And I think the... uh the number of Starbucks, too, you use that as one of the pieces of your data. And we think that there's a Starbucks really close to wherever we want to be. But uh, tobacco stores are even more prolific. Yep, five times as uh, many tobacco retailers as Starbucks. Um, And I think one of the most important points uh, from the data is that Yes, they are ubiquitous, but they're not equally distributed. So in Seattle, there are four times more tobacco retailers per square mile in the lowest income neighborhoods than in the highest income neighborhoods. And that raises concerns about health equity. Definitely. And and certainly at this time, we're even that much more hyper-conscious of the inequities that exist. And so... What? How do we want to interpret that, Lisa? 
Uh, well, it tells us about uh, a kind of targeting that's going on, has been for years. Uh, tobacco companies uh, locate themselves uh, near schools and in economically disadvantaged neighborhoods. Um, and it's not just the stores, of course, it's also the marketing. Uh, tobacco companies spend nearly a million dollars an hour on advertisements and price discounts um, that increase the appeal of the products uh, to youth and make them more affordable to price-sensitive customers like youth um, and African-Americans and low-income uh, residents in Seattle. And when we're looking at these tobacco stores, we're we look at the gamut of products there, uh, the more appealing being to the younger generation being the e-cigarettes, right? That's absolutely right. And remember, the exposure to these products is absolutely unavoidable. So young people who are visiting convenience stores, um, gas stations, pharmacies, um, other kinds of small markets, uh, are walking up to the cash register to buy snacks or um, a soda or a bottle of water, and they're confronted with a really colorful display of cigarettes, uh, of e-cigarettes, often sitting out right there on the counter as they're uh, leaving the store. Um, and they are sold in flavors that are attractive and appealing, colored packaging, um, and at fairly low prices. And and it's great that you really describe that a little more clearly, Lisa, because when we think of tobacco stores, these are outlets. It's not necessarily, you know, saying on the outside that it's a tobacco shop, of which some exist. But this is, yes, a lot of retail outlets that carry cigarettes. So a, a kid, um, any one of us can walk in, but certainly uh, youth are more vulnerable and they see this appealing array they're really going to be taken in with it, aren't they? That's right. Um, and and as you point out, this is um, a, a sort of barrage, a constant day-to-day uh, -day exposure on your way to and from schools. Um, these The neighborhoods in Seattle are saturated with tobacco retailers. To give you a sense of that, 74% of Seattle residents live within a half mile of a tobacco retailer. That's a 10-minute walk. Um, so <laughs> think of the student who's walking from home to school. Exposure is absolutely unavoidable, and, um, and the ads are omnipresent. Absolutely. So kind of just a, a stepping back a moment uh, or stepping out of this circle of conversation, what was the timing of this research and study, Lisa? Well, we've been working for the past year on a grant from the National Cancer Institute at the National Institutes of Health. Um, the organization is called ASPIRE, Advancing Science and Practice in the Retail Environment. Um, and more information about this study can be found at our website, aspire.org. Um, but uh, we're uh, continuing to focus on um, characterizing uh, tobacco retailers, um, the environment, as we've been talking about it, where there are plans when data collection opportunities are safe to go in to collect more information about uh, what products are sold and advertised and at what prices. 
um, in Seattle and in uh, 29 uh, other major cities in the United States. And so during the course of this year, it's kind of been a split year during what we'll call the normal times and then COVID times. And would there was there is there a distinction between this i mean it still obviously is such a critical issue but do you feel that there's been a change because uh schools have so uh much more so been remote learning for the most part this since spring Um, that's true, but a- again, um, even though uh, students aren't per- perhaps going back to school in the fall and remote learning may continue, um, that doesn't discount the fact that there are, tobacco retailers are so numerous that they will still be uh, omnipresent in young people's environments. Oh, w- without question, that this is such a critical issue, and probably even more compounded now when we think about the health effects. I mean, that's been pretty fundamental all along. But now with COVID and its effect on our respiratory system, directly our lungs, do you feel there's going to be more of a push on this or we need to heighten the awareness? Matt, did you want to address that? Sure. Um, Let me jump in with that because it's a very important question. The COVID-19 crisis makes it even more urgent um, that um, anybody who is smoking and anybody, particularly young people using e-cigarettes, make a serious effort at quitting. We now know that smoking does increase the risk of an individual um, for the severe consequences of coronavirus. That means more likely to be hospitalized, more likely to suffer um, the severe consequences. What many people don't realize is that quitting now actually produces rapid positive results. Um, You see almost immediate impact on both your respiratory and your heart system. So there's a sense by too many people that quitting now, um, it's too late. And the answer to that is it's not too late. Um, Equally important, most of the young people who started um, use flavored e-cigarettes and has begun relatively recently. So it's critically important that they take the step of quitting um, before they have done long-term permanent damage both to their lungs and because of the high levels of nicotine's impact on the brain to their developing brain. And I think we've established uh just in general, and I think a year ago I had a conversation with someone from Tobacco Free Kids about uh, the addicted brain, particularly in adolescence, that the addiction happens just that much more quickly. Um, I think it was you and I who spoke. Uh, and it's, it's a very important thing for kids and parents to understand. Um, nicotine uh, delivered to adolescents. Um, has a particular impact on the developing brain. Young people's brains continue to develop until their mid-20s. We now know that delivering very high levels of nicotine can affect the developing brain and can result in long-term consequences. We don't think of addiction as something that impacts you immediately, but there are stories across the country now of young people um, who literally wake up in the middle of the night, they're so hooked to e-cigarettes that they need to get a hit can't pay attention in school, 
And that will become even more important when kids are learning on their own at home, um, no longer have the ability to participate in athletics. And even whether or not there are formal athletics this fall, what it means is that it's impacting young people's ability to um, engage in rigorous athletic activity. All of that means that the fact that this study shows how ubiquitous the tobacco industry is targeting our young people makes it ever more important that we take strong action to curtail their ability to reach young people. Um, you know, last year, the Washington legislature considered a bill that would have banned the sale of off-flavored e-cigarettes. Eliminating flavored tobacco products is one of the best ways to reduce young people's addiction to tobacco. The tobacco industry knows it. 97% of all kids um, who use e-cigarettes start with a flavored e-cigarette. Over half of all kids who smoke cigarettes smoke menthol cigarettes. And more high school boys smoke flavored cigars than smoke cigarettes these days. That's why you see this heavy presence in neighborhoods, near schools, in neighborhoods with low-income individuals. The tobacco industry has their target. What we need to do is make sure they can't succeed. And you were mentioning the uh, Washington State Legislature, and I remember discussion around it. I don't recall now what the result of all of that was. Do you know that, Matt? I do. Unfortunately, the legislature wasn't able to reach a consensus um, and did not um, pass any legislation. So what it means is that while um, young people were temporarily protected against flavored e-cigarettes as a result of the governor's emergency order. Today, those products are now available widely throughout the state and in virtually every one of the stores that Lisa's study um, examined. Uh, what it means is that it's critically important when the Washington legislature comes back that they tackle this problem. Washington state was one of the early leaders in reducing tobacco use across the United States. But with the curtailment of its tobacco program um, and with the presence of these products all around, um, it's lost that leadership. This is a time for the state to step back in, eliminate those products that we now know every kid who goes to school walks past them every day um, in the coming legislature. And, and in Washington state, it's even more important because your local governments like Seattle, even if they want to, are not permitted to ban the sale of these flavored products. So um, in many other states, California is a perfect example, um, 72 cities have banned the sale of these products already uh, because they're allowed to do so. In Washington, if you're going to make progress, either the legislature needs to act or needs to give permission to the cities and communities to act. And looking at your website at tobaccofreekids.org, I saw that New York State has banned e-cigarettes there. So here we see, uh, you know, one of the leading states accomplishing it. So certainly it's it's doable. I, I don't know who the uh, other three prior to New York were, but it is happening. Well, in the last year, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey have all banned the sale of flavored e-cigarette products. Um, Rhode Island has done it by administrative order. So we have four states in New England that have done it. We have over 70 cities 
in California that have we do, have done it, as well as a number of cities, major cities like Minneapolis, St. Paul, um, around the country. We know that it's feasible to do it. We believe the data is going to show that it is the way that we can most significantly reduce um, our young people's addiction to tobacco products. And we think it's critical for the long-term health of our, of our young people. You know, the tobacco industry never gives up. Despite the progress that's been made, and as I said, Washington State has done a wonderful job of reducing tobacco use among your young people, flavored e-cigarettes are threatening to reverse two decades of progress. And we just simply cannot let that happen uh, because the statistics are daunting in terms of death rates, one, but even prior to death, the the health impacts that it has, uh, and well, and then if we look at it in terms of cost, not just the individual, which is highly important, but the cost to us uh, in in terms of medical care is huge, and and it doesn't have to be that way, right, Lisa or Matt? Um, that's exactly right. Um, and it's even more important today than ever before because we know that tobacco use is one of the causes of the health disparities in our African-American communities, in our Latin communities, two of the communities are getting hard, hit hardest by COVID, um, and that as long as the industry is allowed to target these communities and our young people, we will deal with health disparities that don't have to exist and health care costs that are burdening our system. So we have this relatively simple solution to get our kids to not even get started in the first place. And it is daunting, but that education and and support comes uh, certainly uh, established at home, wouldn't you say? Um, I do. Um, You know, it's it's critically important, even more important now, and Lisa can speak to this, you know, that moms and dads sit down and have honest, frank, objective conversations with the young people. You know, contrary to the myth, young people do listen. We have seen dramatic progress among young people as they've learned more and more. But um, the Stanford study today also points out a critical fact. Uh, One of the reasons so many young people smoke is they mistakenly believe but it is still the social norm that their friends are doing it. And the reason they believe that is every time they turn around, they're confronted with advertising and, and visual images of cigarettes in the retail outlet. So we can't ignore the importance of the retail outlet in promoting these products, misleading our young people into thinking smoking is still cool, and misleading our young people into thinking it is still the social norm. I've always believed mom and dad sitting down with their kids um, can make a real difference as long as it's a fair fight, which means they're not up against a million dollars every day marketing against them. Precisely. And Lisa, going back. I want to underscore uh, that. I'm just wanting to underscore that important point. Uh, A neighborhood saturated with tobacco retailers normalizes the behavior and the product um, and it undermines everything we're trying to do with um, uh, tobacco, anti-tobacco education campaigns on radio, on television, um, the, the message that we're trying to communicate about indisputably harmful and addictive products 
is being undermined by their presence on practically every street corner. And that is the thing. Uh, you you were talking about the, the number of retail shops uh, in a Seattle block. And uh, per square mile, when I look at the list of the 30 cities, Seattle is certainly in the upper end uh, of the scale of higher end as to the number of shops. So it really takes some conscious awareness and resistance uh, to stand up to it, doesn't it? It does. And in addition to um, restrictions on the sale of flavored tobacco products, there are other kinds of uh, policies that can limit uh, uh, the presence of these retailers in our neighborhoods. Um, They include uh, tobacco-free pharmacies. Um, It's insane (laughs) that a place where you go to get cures um, for diseases, most of many of which are caused by tobacco, are selling those very products um, in the same store. Um, Other communities uh, have passed uh, ordinances to limit the sale of tobacco retailers near schools specifically. Um, to put a cap on uh, the number of retailers until the most saturated neighborhoods look like the, look like the high-income neighborhoods that have uh, the fewest tobacco retailers. That's a policy um, that exists in San Francisco and has been very successful um, in promoting a more equitable distribution in their city. And that is evidence that it can be done. Cities still thrive without all that tobacco influence. And more critically, the residents, and particularly our young people, have a better chance at a good life by by limiting those tobacco outlets. It's also important to realize that it's a myth that tobacco is really contributing to the economy of even these little stores. The reality is, If people are not spending their money on tobacco, they will spend their money on other items in the store. And most of those other items will be better for the local economy than tobacco products, almost all of which sends money out of state to the two or three national manufacturers. If you care about your local economy, buy local, buy food, um, and the money that's used that's not used for tobacco – can prop up the economy even more than tobacco can. All so critically important to our health and well-being, and and I think it's even underscored during this time of COVID as to the utter importance of that. So Matt Myers and Lisa Hendrickson, I so greatly appreciate the work that you're doing, uh, heightening the awareness. Uh, So Matt, how do people get more information? Um, two sources I would recommend to you. Um, the Tobacco Free Kids website, tobaccofreekids.org, um, has a resource for parents who want to talk to their kids, has a research source for smokers and e-cigarette users who are looking for help in quitting, um, and is general information about the issue. Um, Lisa's organization, aspirecenter.org, Um, also has critically important information about their retail study and other related issues. Which is great. So, Lisa, the statistics that I've seen, they're available at your website? They are, as well as um, maps. 
that are specific to Seattle that illustrate uh, what proportion of residents live within walking distance of a tobacco retailer and where in the city um, the, the glut of tobacco retailers is most evident. Great. And that, as Matt said, is aspirecenter.org. Correct? That's correct. Great. Well, I wish we had more time to really expand on this, but I think you've given us the real critical information. Thank you so greatly for who you are, what you're doing, and spending time with us this morning. Yeah, and thanks for providing us the opportunity. Um, Seattle and Washington State long have been longtime leaders. There's a chance to take an important step forward again. And as you said, Matt, time is critical, and we need to make our voices heard in our legislature, right? Exactly right. Not a problem to be solved 10 years from now. This has got to be solved right now. Otherwise, we risk addicting a whole new generation of young people. And I think the time, that would be the lesson of this time, is we have the prime opportunity to take advantage of all the dynamics and make it happen. So thank you greatly for, again, for your work. Many thanks. Thank you. This is Mandy Ringenberg with your Sunday morning shout out. This week's shout out goes to the Washington State Trails Association. Washington Trails Association works to mobilize hikers and everyone who loves the outdoors to explore, steward, and champion trails on public lands. Building a knowledgeable and passionate community of hikers is absolutely key to the future of trails and something Washington Trails Association really strives for. They ultimately love exploring nature, and it's also good for people's hearts, minds, and bodies that hiking is a very powerful way for everyone to connect with our state's natural wonders. They believe that people will protect the places they love to hike from local parks to remote wilderness and by doing so educate themselves and others around them to continue to protect the lands. It's vitally important for everyone to have the opportunity to access the outdoors and the Parks Association is absolutely committed to reducing barriers to hiking trails and lands. By doing so, they provide programs for inspired and engaged hikers to get involved in. This is a hope to educate people on how they can continue to enjoy and protect nature. You can also check out their strategic plan from 2015 to 2020 on how they are sustaining the Washington State Trails, as well as their initiatives to protect certain lands for the public to enjoy. In addition, check out their accomplishments over the past couple of years. They definitely continue to inspire people to get outside. One way they inspired people to get out and enjoy the outdoors was educating roughly 275,000 people on how to better understand passes or permits they needed for the public lands. By using their website, social media, videos, and in-person communication, Washington Trails Association connected with thousands of hikers on how to use trail basics and essential skills, how to pack for different hikes, share the trail, and even how to hike with a dog. Go check out their website if you want to find other ways to get involved, which hikes you should look at, and of course, how to volunteer and protect these trails. That's at WTA.org. That stands for Washington Trails Association. WTA.org.